Uh, well, as you would have uh, seen in our Mark reading that we're looking at today, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at part of what the Bible says on marriage and divorce. And uh, I think it's worth saying up front that for some of us here, it will be quite a, a live issue, I guess, uh, quite a difficult thing uh, to speak about. And uh, so as we look at this passage, you might feel quite uncomfortable, I guess, or quite painful. And uh, I guess it's worth saying, I mean, that, that's okay, right? We should expect that at times God's word will stir us up and, uh, and challenge us. But part of what I want us to see this morning is that these, this isn't something we should just deal with by ourselves, but we need to deal with together as a Christian community. So if you'd like to talk about anything that I say, uh, please make sure you come and speak to me. I'm not that scary. Uh, come and speak to me. I'd love to uh, talk to you more about these things. You can write something on your feedback slip, send me an email, get in contact with me one way or another, but I'd love, uh, love to talk to you about it. And I think we all know that divorce is a fairly common uh, sort of practice in our society. Uh, one report that I read suggested that one in three marriages today in Australia will end in divorce. So if you imagine, you know, there's about 100 people here. If you're 50 uh, newlywed couples, from, for example, then statistically there would be 16 that would end in divorce. Right? It's, a, it's a big number, a big proportion, isn't it? Uh, it's quite a sort of a common practice uh, in our society. Now, you might argue, perhaps uh, for Christian believers, maybe the proportion should be lower. It may be true, but in our experience, we know that divorce is an issue not just out there, but in here, inside the church. All of us have been impacted by divorce one way or another. And we should have an expectation that there will be people, sorry, will be people in our church who have previously been divorced. I think if we're really actually realistic and honest, we should expect that there are some people in our church married today for whom that marriage will end in divorce. And if we're really honest, I think there's some people who are yet to be married who will be married, and that marriage will end in divorce. It's not just an issue out there, but an issue that we need to think through carefully as Christians which is why it's great for us to look at this, uh, this part of God's Word together. But the other thing to say is that when we come to a passage like this, it's easy to sort of let our own questions or particular issues uh, sort of set the agenda. Uh, but what we have to try hard to do is to try and just for a moment leave aside the particular questions or experience that we have and to try and just look at the passage uh, as it stands. I mean, what we do at church is we take a book like Mark and we just look through each passage week by week so that we let God's word set the agenda uh, for what we're looking at. So we want to try and take the passage uh, as it comes. And to help us do that, I think it's just worth thinking about where we've come from in Mark's gospel. So the great, the great sort of turning point in the book comes in Mark chapter 8 uh, when Peter makes his great confession that, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God's promised king. And Ross, if you just go to the next one, you'll see a, a map here. So that happens right up in the far north, this place, Caesarea Philippi. And, uh, and since then, Jesus is, is heading south to Jerusalem. And he's been very clear with his disciples that, that when he gets to Jerusalem, there he will face his death. So he's making this journey. Last week he was in uh, Galilee and Capernaum. And, uh, and as he travels down... He's been particularly trying to teach his disciples what it looks like to follow him. I mean, we, we might talk about the theme of, of discipleship 
uh, I guess. So just look there in, uh, in verse 1. Uh, it says, Jesus set out from there, so from Capernaum, and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. So leaving Capernaum, he's come now to this uh, region down here of Judea. So he's getting close to Jerusalem. And he's also been in this area of Perea uh, across the Jordan. And the crowds hear that he's there. So look there, verse 1 again. So the crowds converge on him again. And as he usually did, he began teaching them once more. But it's not just the crowds who hear that he's come south, but the religious leaders as well, those who have been in opposition to Jesus. And they come with this question in verse 2. Some Pharisees or religious leaders, they approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, I think it's important that we see the intent of the religious leaders' questions. They've actually already made up their mind what they think the Scriptures teach. Now, what they're trying to do is to test Jesus, and that's what Mark tells us, or to trap him. But in what way is this a trap? We need to look no further than John the Baptist. If you remember, Mark has already told us about this, uh, this prophet, John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, who had publicly spoken against the marriage of Herod and Herodias. Now, Herod, Herod Antipas, this was the, the sort of the, the portion that he ruled. So as Jesus has come close to here, well, the religious leaders want to trap him. See, if he says, no, it is not lawful for a man to divorce his wife, then he's going to upset Herod and Herodias. That could land him in real hot water. But on the other hand, if he says, yes, no, it is lawful to divorce your wife, well, then he's going to be affirming the, the easy kind of practice of the religious leaders. Thanks, Ross. We'll go to the next one now. So you can see the religious leaders, they're, they're really trying to put Jesus in a, in a difficult spot, and they think they've got him there. They're tr- going to trap him uh, in his words. Uh, but Jesus, I think, sees what they're doing. And so, as is typical, he answers with a question of his own. Look there, verse 3. So he replied to them, What did Moses command you? So here, Jesus turns the table and says, Well, what do you think about it? And he just gently reminds them that they claim to sit under the authority of Moses. Well, the religious leaders reply, verse 4, they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Now, in this response of the religious leaders, they're they're alluding to the book of Deuteronomy uh, in chapter 24. And uh, I think it's it's, it's worth turning back there, actually, in uh, in your Bibles. We're going to look at it. Uh, look at what Moses says back there. So Deuteronomy 24, if you turn there, don't lose your spot in Mark. I hope that's not too late. But uh, we'll, we'll read that part here. It will come up on the screen uh, as well, um, if that's helpful. But before we, before we read it, it's just uh, worth uh, saying that, that what we have here is a very kind of specific situation uh, that Moses is speaking to. And he's actually wanting to prohibit uh, a man from remarrying a wife that is divorced. So that's the particular kind of prohibition or or situation. And hopefully you'll see that as we read it. Uh, So it says this. It says, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. 
And if after leaving his house she goes and become another man's wife, and the second man hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she's been defiled, because that would be detestable to the Lord. So you can see in, in that last verse, that's where the prohibition comes. And it seems sort of quite an unusual situation, doesn't it? That, that God's law in the Old Testament would address that kind of particular situation. But the thing that, that helps us, I think, is, is to realise that back, back then in the Old Testament, uh, women were in a very kind of vulnerable position. They really needed the, the support and protection of, of firstly their father, but then a husband. Uh, if a woman didn't have a man to protect and care for and provide for her, the reality was that she would end up, she would end up destitute and on the street. And so the law here, while it seems strange, it's intended to protect women, uh, to, to prevent them from being exploited. I mean, you might imagine the situation. It's not that hard as you see the, the people of God in the Old Testament, where, where two men come together and say, oh, look, I'd, I'd really love to sleep with your wife, uh, but she's married to you. Well, why don't you divorce her? I'll marry her, sleep with her, then divorce her, and then you can have her back, right? And so this law prevented that. It prevented the exploitation of women. But you do see in these verses this, this practice of a husband writing a divorce certificate. Uh, and again, this was meant to protect women. Uh, for a woman, if she was divorced, she needed to find the protection and support of a second husband. And so it was really important that she had this certificate of divorce, a proof that she wasn't married and so could seek the support and, and sort of protection of another man. Thanks, Ross. But if we come back to Mark chapter 10 then for a minute, well, are the religious leaders right in their answer? Are they right to say that Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away? Well, in some ways, yes, they are right. That does seem to be a possibility in the book of Deuteronomy written by Moses. But on the other hand, no, they've missed the point. See, in Deuteronomy 24, that was to be uh, an exception or a concession to regulate the practice of divorce and to limit evil. It wasn't meant to be a loophole that affirmed the practice of easy divorce. And so you can see that's kind of the point Jesus makes in verse 5. So Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But what Jesus goes on next to say you see, the religious leaders have asked him a question about divorce. But rather than answering his question directly, instead he gives an answer about marriage. He says, okay, Moses wrote that command, but he said so much more. So much more, in fact, about God's purpose and intention for marriage. And so he does that by quoting from the books of Genesis in chapter 1 and 2. So just look there at verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Uh, we see here Jesus affirming the teaching of the Old Testament, that, that marriage is something instituted by God. That his intention was that a man and a woman would make a lifelong commitment in the relationship of marriage. 
Uh, you can see here that it's the start of a new family. A man will leave his father and mother. A new family has begun that will welcome God willing, that will welcome children. But also this, this marriage which God has institu- instituted, uh, it's the proper place for sexual intimacy. You can see it described here of the two becoming one flesh. So we hear, see here Jesus affirming and showing us God's intention for marriage. But what Jesus does next is he then spells out the implications of this. So verse 8, he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, man must not separate. The implication is that if God has joined together this husband and wife, then they are to stay together. It is until death do we part. Now in some ways in what Jesus has said in his answer about marriage, he has indirectly, I guess, answered the question about divorce. But the disciples want to push him a bit further. They ask him again about it. And so privately Jesus gives a clear answer about divorce in verse 10 to 12. And you'll see that. So verse 10. Now in the house the disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus is pretty clear here, isn't he? He's saying that divorce and remarriage is the same as adultery, which is clearly prohibited for God's people. So for a follower of Jesus to ask today, does God want me, divorce, want me to divorce my spouse? The answer is no. God's intention is that marriage will be a lifelong commitment. God has joined you together and so you are to stay together. But as we hear this teaching of Jesus, uh, I think for some of us at least, we'll be thinking, but But hang on a minute, I thought the New Testament does give some grounds or concessions for divorce. And I think in some ways the answer is yes. So interestingly, actually when when Matthew records this same event, uh, you'll see here on the screen, Ross, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So you can see this exception that in the, in the case of sexual immorality, presumably adultery, uh, it seems Jesus is saying that divorce is permissible. Uh, earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says a similar thing. If we go to the next slide. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, here we go. Uh, he says, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. But the section, sorry, the second exception uh, comes uh, from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, we'll read it up on the screen. He says this, But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. So you can see Paul here, he has a very high view on the commitments of marriage, right? But then he says, verse 15, If the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you 
to live in peace. Thanks, Ross. So it seems in those two parts of the New Testament, we have those two uh, exceptions or, or grounds, I guess, where divorce may be permissible. But we need to be really careful here that we don't get caught up in the same error as the religious leaders. They looked at the, the sort of concession in Deuteronomy and used it as a loophole to affirm their practice of easy divorce. And we've got to be really careful that we don't fall into the same trap. Uh, it's important that we don't... Well, sorry, uh, uh, a much better question, well, a question we might ask is, is can a Christian get divorced, right? But a much, a much better question to ask, and one I think that's really shaped by the teaching of the New Testament, is why should I stay in my marriage? Because God's intention is that for a husband and wife to stay together until death do we part. So the question is, why does God want me to stay together? Now as we look at this particular teaching of Jesus, I think it's helpful as we understand these things to see it in the context of Mark's gospel as a whole. And to remember that, that Jesus here has been teaching his disciples on what it means to follow him. Remember, this is in the sort of the theme of, of discipleship. And when we think about that, think about it like that, of Jesus teaching his followers, then there's two things that shouldn't surprise us. The first thing is that to, to follow Jesus in this, to want to stick at a marriage, will be hard. Right? There will be times when it will be really difficult to follow Jesus in this particular teaching. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because it comes in the context of Jesus' teaching of what it means to follow him. But the second thing that shouldn't surprise us is that to follow Jesus in this will be countercultural. It will be different to the world around us. And I think we certainly see this uh, in this case. So as we said before, in our world around us, it almost seems to affirm the practice of divorce. You know, you're watching a, a movie, right? And, and you see uh, the wife, what happens? She, she falls out of love with her husband for whatever reason. She falls in love with another person, another man. What does she do? Well, of course, she, she should follow her heart, right? She can't betray love. She must, uh, must leave her husband and run after another. And yet, friends, as Christians, this, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that to follow Jesus in this will be very different to the world around us. But with those two things in mind, then, that, that to stick at marriage will be hard and it will be different to the world, then it follows, I think, that as a Christian community... We want to be a group that supports those in our church who are married. We want to see those who are married, we want to see them endure. We want to pray for them, encourage them and support them to be faithful to their marriage vows. Uh, I thought I'd uh, show you a, um, a picture, right? Uh, I, uh, I used to be an engineer, right? So I like, um, I like graphs. And uh, this sort of represents a, um, uh, a marriage, it's uh, fictitious, uh, but sort of plots the uh, health or vitality of, uh, of the marriage. So, Ross, if you can start us off. All right, so things uh, seem to go well uh, in the honeymoon. There's a few upsets uh, as it goes. Just keep going all the way to the end. 
But uh, you can see in this particularly uh, marriage, uh, married couple, things go well. Keep going, keep going. There's lots to go. There you go. We're covering many years here. Anyway. There you go. I think that's it. Great. There you go. So in a marriage, the, the sort of uh, the reality is that there are ups and downs. Now, I don't know if that's a shock to you, right? If you're married, you're thinking, yes, that's true, right? If, if that's a shock to you, sorry to tell you the news, but that's the reality, right? And it shouldn't surprise us. We've got two sinful people committing to live together. Well, of course there's going to be ups and downs in our life, uh, ups and downs in the marriage relationship. But when we see this, and when we know that it's not a surprise, but the temptation for us as Christians is that when we come together, we pretend that everything is okay. We put up this pretense if we're married, that all is fine. But the reality is, friends, is that for every marriage, every marriage has its ups and downs. And so if you're married, I want to ask you a question, right? When's the last time you spoke to someone, apart from your spouse, about how your marriage is going? When's the last time you were honest with someone? If we recognize that marriage is going to be hard, we need to have Christian brothers and sisters who we can speak to, who can ask us about how our marriage is going. I remember uh, early on in our marriage, we were given a piece of advice. Uh, actually, I found out, apparently Phil gave it this piece of advice, but I don't remember that. But anyway, it was good advice. Uh, and, and the advice was that uh, early on in the marriage, in the first year, it's a really good idea to go and see a marriage counsellor. And uh, the, the idea is if you go early on, uh, when things are good, then it's much easier to go again, the second or the third or whatever, when the rough times come. So Amy, uh, my wife and I, we heard that and we thought, that's a great idea, let's do it. Uh, it did take us nine years, but uh, last year we got there. Uh, we finally uh, made the arrangements, we got our kids uh, looked after and uh, we went to see a marriage counsellor at uh, Anglicare in Summerhill. And it was a really great experience, right? It was quite daunting to make the plans, it was quite daunting to, to go there. But as we drove together in the car, it gave us an opportunity to talk honestly about how our marriage relationship's going. Uh, we had two one-hour sessions with a, a lovely Christian uh, lady, a counsellor, who helped us think through about how we've been relating. And then on the way home, we could talk more about these things. And now, having done it twice, uh, I can really see the wisdom in it, right? It's, it's much easier for us to go again when things are hard. And they will inevitably be hard, right? Even for the pastor and his wife. We should expect, friends, that marriage will have its ups and downs. And so as a community, we want to be encouraging and supporting each other. But we need to see that our marriage is something we need to work on. So if, if you're married then, just re reflect again on the last couple of weeks. I mean, when's the last time you spent some quality time with your spouse? with the kids not there, the TV off, but spend some time building your relationship. Uh, when's the last time you asked, what can I be praying for you? Or, or read the Bible together? Think about the last conflict or, or argument that you had. I mean, there's always conflict and arguments in marriage, right? 
But how did it go? Did you deal with it in a healthy way? Did you deal with it in an unhealthy way? Did you just ignore it? See, friends, if we want to have a marriage that endures, we've got to work at it. It's worth reflecting. When's the last time you were sexually intimate with your spouse if you're married? Because, friends, this is a great gift that God has given us to strengthen and build marriages. And if a couple are not being sexually intimate, then it's usually a pretty good sign that things are not going that well. A friend of mine has this, uh, this great saying that I'll share with you. Uh, he says, the grass is always greener when you take the time to water it. And I think it's a, it's a great little saying to keep in mind when it comes to marriage. See, we should expect that marriage will be hard. I mean, one of the great advantages we have as Christians is that we have a clear picture of sin, right? So we should expect that it will be hard, which is why we need to keep working at it. But I think the other thing that shouldn't surprise us as Christians, when we have a, a clear picture of sin, is that there may be some marriages, even within our church, where one or both partners will be abusive. Now when I say it, it shouldn't surprise us, that's not to excuse abuse. Uh, abuse is never okay, uh, whether it's physical or sexual, or emotional, or financial, or spiritual, or whatever kind of abuse, abuse is never okay. And so with that in mind, I think there's two really important things to say. The first thing, if you know that you are abusive in a relationship, then that's something you really need to deal with. Right? You need to deal with it straight away. Come and speak to me, speak to Phil, speak to someone. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to help see that behaviour change. But second thing to say is if you find yourself experiencing abuse in a marriage, then this is not okay. You may need to separate yourself from your spouse. If there's children involved, you need to think of their safety uh, and your safety. Uh, separation is a totally legitimate thing to do. And it will give you a safe space to sort of work out what's the next step. And they're often very complicated, these situations. So you need to sort of think through, I guess, on a case-by-case basis. And I guess more broadly for us as a Christian community, I mean, we want to be prepared to take people in who find themselves in this particular situation. And one of the the great blessings of our church is we do see that happen. Uh, People willing to take those in. So the message from the passage then, for those who are married then, is that marriage is important, that God wants you to stay together. And so you need to work hard at investing in your marriage uh, at each and every point. But I think there's two other situations that I think this passage addresses for us that's worth uh, thinking through together. Uh, The first is uh, for those who in the past have been divorced. Now imagine if that's your situation. As you read through these words of Jesus, well, they're quite difficult words to read, right? Uh, At least a part of you may be feeling a a sense of guilt or or shame or resentment, uh, things that have happened in the past. And I think for us as Christians, I mean, it's right to be honest about our sin. But we can't leave it there, right? We need to come to trust in the death of Jesus. The great news, friends, of the gospel of Jesus 
is that in him we find forgiveness. Friends, we know that we're all sinners in one way or another. And yet in him we can find forgiveness. See, the same Jesus who, uh, who taught these words here, he was the one who came to give his life a ransom for many. It's at the end of Mark's Gospel that he will go to the cross to die in our place so that we might find forgiveness. But the second sort of situation I think this passage really addresses is for those who are looking to be married. Right? You, you see in this passage the importance of marriage and how God wants us to stick together in our marriage. So if you're looking to be married, you need to think very carefully, right, about who it is that you marry. So if you're a woman, you want to marry a godly Christian guy, right? Someone who's going to lead you in your faith. Someone who's going to pray for you, encourage you. Someone who's going to partner well together with you in ministry. A guy who deals with conflict well. Not just in the honeymoon period, but until death do we part. But secondly, if you're, if you're a guy, right, and you want to get married, then you want to marry a godly Christian lady, right? A, a lady who's going to support and encourage your leadership. A lady who's going to pray for you. A, a lady who will partner together with you. A lady who will deal with conflict with you. A lady who is reliable. And not just in the honeymoon period, but until death do we part. We see in this passage that marriage is a very serious commitment before God. And so we need to be very careful of who it is that we choose to marry. And I think one of the things that really helps us in this, in fact it helps us in lots of parts of the Christian life, is to keep remembering that our value and identity before God comes from being in Christ. It's not about our marital status or our job or our income or what we look like or whatever it is. No, our value and identity comes in Christ. And as we keep our focus on that, that will guard us from the many temptations of this world. Uh, well, as we looked at these words from Jesus, we see the real importance of marriage in God's sight. But we also see it's, it's a challenging passage, isn't it? as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus in this. And I think it's particularly in the area of relationships that for us as Christians, we're particularly aware, I think, of our sin and our failing. And so I thought a, a good way for us to finish then would to be reflect on these, uh, these great words from 1 Corinthians, and they'll come up uh, on the screen. Uh, so Paul says this, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were declared right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God.